Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I'm your host, Joe Webb, and this is a podcast for all of us who are looking for faith beyond the fences and the walls of institutional religion. Thank you so much for listening. This is episode number 17 of the podcast, and I'm really, really, really excited today to introduce you to my friend Harry Morgan, who will be my guest uh, in this episode. You will hear a little bit more about Harry's background as we get started in our conversation, but even though he's not someone you may have heard of before, he has helped develop some technologies that most of us in the information era that we find ourselves in use every single day. And again, you'll hear a little bit more about that as we go forward. Harry and I um, have been friends our entire lives, and for several years we've had this sort of ongoing dialogue around different matters of theology and religion and philosophy and culture and politics. And in the wake of this time of, of protest and reform movements following the murder of George Floyd, Harry and I thought it might be interesting to take some of that sort of private dialogue that he and I have been having and move it into this public space of, of this podcast to help us all maybe think a little more deeply about how we can move toward a better, a more inclusive, and a more equitable society. So what you're going to hear today is actually just the first half of a conversation that Harry and I had around racism and white supremacy. And then later on, we'll air the second half of our discussion where Harry starts to kind of unpack some ideas that he's been having around some really kind of concrete economic reforms uh, that might be helpful in the effort to alleviate the systemic poverty that is so intertwined with systemic racism in our country. Now, before we get started, I just want to give um, a little bit of a disclaimer here. Um, Harry and I are both white men in our mid-50s who are really just trying to learn as we go to be better allies to people in marginalized communities. And as you'll hear in, in some of our remarks, we acknowledge that we might sometimes say things that could be unintentionally hurtful to folks in those communities or might not be as well informed as we'd like for them to be. And as you listen, I think you'll discover that the underlying theme of our conversation is really what it looks like to be self-critical and to be open to learning and to changing. And so if there are points where we could do better, we are both certainly open to hearing from folks who are willing to help us with our understanding. You'll also hear a few places where we talk about white ignorance, and I want to be really sure to emphasize that we use that word really just to describe the state of not knowing what we don't know, and not in any way to be to be derisive to anyone. So thanks again for listening, and please join me in welcoming Harry Morgan to the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. That's where I think we get into problems many times is there's absence of understanding but there's no attempt to try to understand you know we we assume we know based on our experience and so what we need to do i think is create better experiences so um, i want to welcome my friend harry morgan to the accidental tomatoes podcast uh, harry and i have literally known each other almost our entire lives it, it, 
at the very least, we've known each other for 50 plus years. Um, and I'm not <laughs> going to give away how old either of us are, but we're the same age. <laughs> but uh, I mean, we grew, we grew up in the same church. Um, we did not go to the same elementary school, but we went to middle school and high school together. And, and we've remained, uh, we've, we've maintained a close friendship over the years. And, um, and Harry's got, um, the way I kind of want to introduce Harry a little bit uh, for you listeners out there is uh, Harry is both a man of science and a man of faith. And one of the reasons I asked Harry to be on this podcast is that we, Harry, you and I have for the last several years, I can't even remember when we kind of started doing it, but once or twice a month, it seems like we just start having these text messaging conversations on matters of theology or philosophy or politics or whatever it is. And, and, you know, they sometimes can go on for hours or days and they get really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yesterday we were, so yesterday we were doing that and we were, we kind of started this conversation around, you know, sort of the racial issues that are swirling around in our world today, you know, and, and we're recording this thing in the middle of June, 2020. And so we're in the midst of pandemic. We're in the midst of, you know, um, kind of a increased conversation around um, race relations in America and around the world. And um, so we started this conversation and it went in a lot of different directions. And as we were going, um, it sort of occurred to me that like, this might be a really interesting podcast for folks to kind of get inside our heads of the conversation that we were having. So um, Harry, I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourself, give a little background of, um, you know, kind of who you are and what you've done and what you do now. And then, uh, and then I want to kind of revisit some of the things we were talking about yesterday and see how we can repurpose those um, for this, for this media of uh, podcasting. So yeah, give us, give us the Harry Morgan story. um, (laughs) If you will. Well, uh, as you've already said, we grew up together. So I grew up in West Virginia. Uh, It was a great, great community to grow up in. Um, uh, really, I think was blessed to be able to grow up there. Um, uh, graduated from West Virginia University uh, with a computer science degree, started writing code for um, different groups over the years, ended up at AOL. Uh, my wife and I were blessed and I was able to retire in 2000. Um uh, I began doing some volunteer work, helping to deliver meals to shut-ins. I did that for a little while. I started writing my own code to help manage investments and monitor the stock market uh, and develop some tools for that, which I continue to do. Uh, And uh, on occasion, I write code for uh, different uh, groups, you know, when they need somebody to, to develop software for them. Um, and my wife and I get the, well, I call it the pleasure of spending time with her. I don't know if she would agree <laughs> <laughs> with how pleasurable it is for her. I, I'm going to bring Jen in on another call, another time, and we'll compare <laughs> notes on that. <laughs> so anyhow, that's, uh, that's kind of it. I, I've, I've gone back to WVU at times and served on various committees um, to help at the College of Engineering. Uh, I think I spent nine years on a, a visitating a visitation committee there. 
with different business entrepreneurs and entities from business to come in and meet annually. Uh, I helped go back and and work within the department for computer science and electrical engineering. I went back to school online. I went to Liberty because uh, it was available online and got my master's degree in education. But I realized that the last class I had to take was basically uh, involved observing classrooms. And uh, what I realized was there was absolutely no way I was going to actually be able to teach. <laughs> so I earned my degree, uh, but I learned late that it, it just wasn't going to, I just wasn't going to be, I wouldn't excel uh, being a, an educator and God bless them. Uh, it's quite, quite the task. Um, so anyhow, that's it, Joe. That's uh, Yeah. That's, it's funny you say that. I, you know, my parents were both school teachers and, um, and I started off, you know, my undergrad, uh, my first semester, I was, um, in an education program. I don't know if I declared a major. I don't remember if I declared myself as an education major. I was an English major and I was kind of the same, like I took the education 101 and 102 classes and there was like, you know, a classroom observation time. And I was the same way as like, after one day of doing that, I'm like, this is not, for me, I, that is not going to be my career. And yes, God bless those people who do that uh, for a living. We need them and we need to, to care for them well, um, because that is, it's not for everybody. And it certainly was not for me. So I totally get uh, where you're coming from. So the other thing, because I know you won't blow your own horn, so I'm going to blow it for you a little bit, because um, a lot of you won't know Harry's name, but you use technology that he has developed almost every day because you were Essentially, you know, at least part of the team that was responsible back in the what the um, maybe late 80s, early 90s for uh, developing the technology that allows us to send um, file attachments with emails. Right. That was kind of a big part. I, I know that wasn't the only thing you did, but that's sort of um, kind of one of the things that influences the world every day. Right. <laughs> well, it, it 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 does now. Not everybody uses AOL. Like at one point in time, I would say a concentration, a pretty high concentration of the people that were sending email attachments were using AOL. Uh, we we sort of called it the field of dreams because uh, if you build it, they will come. Uh, because it, it was easy to use and it was widely available. Uh, so I. I wrote uh, or rewrote uh, most of that software so that it would be in an open architecture so that we could support the growth we were experiencing as a company. Uh, the architecture that it was on originally couldn't support that growth. So we needed to, to make some changes and, you know, uh, my background uh, enabled me be able to facilitate that and to develop that code and then i'm i'm on a couple uh well i know for sure one patent that verizon uh owns um that for stuff i developed that involves transferring data um while i was at aol uh, yeah i mean there were there were uh you know i can't take uh, 100% credit, but we had a good team. 
And AOL was a great place to work when I started there. I started in 92. Uh, and I have to tell you, Joe, uh, it was a true blessing because it, the company was, you know, a hundred and some employees, but I got to tell you, everybody pulled their weight. Yeah. And uh, when, when you get that kind of, uh, kind of like a good idea, uh, Steve Case was very, very good at being able to have a good idea and be able to put a team together to effectively achieve that idea. Uh, when you get that combination plus people dedicated to what they're doing, I mean, the sky's the limit as far as what you can accomplish. And uh, I was really blessed to be a part of that team. <clears throat> that's that's so cool. And, and I think, you know, um, I guess what you're describing, I, I would kind of describe that as like a synergy, right? That, um, you know, there's this, uh, that there's a common per sense of purpose among people. And, and I, and I, the reason I bring all that up is because I do think it really kind of informs this conversation we want to have today, because like I said, you know, you and I get into these, um, really long, <laughs> interesting, um, it, to, just for our readers or our listeners benefit, like um, if you can imagine the conversations you have when you're sitting around a campfire with a bunch of friends, drinking a couple beers or whatever, like, and you start to get into those deep thoughts, conversations, those are the things that you and I text each other about uh, <laughs> every now and then. And, and so, um, but I do want people to kind of understand that that's the background that you bring to these conversations, right. Is from, you know, the, the, the scientific, um, kind of background that you have in addition to, um, you know, work with, you know, you, you mentioned um, some of the code that you write for um, tracking stocks and things. So you've got um, some economic theory there, and we're going to talk more about that uh, for sure here in a few minutes. And then I tend to kind of bring more of the the theological, philosophical background that that I've been trained in, and that, that that's the kind of world that I live in. And and I think one of the things that I see when we, and one of the things that gets me so excited when I get a text from you, you know, with like one of these existential <laughs> questions is, oh man, this is going to be fun, right? <laughs> because, because there's that synergy, right? Between, you know, the world that you live in and the world that I live in and where those things intersect, right? Well, I think that, that as far as our conversations go, and God bless you, man, but, <clears throat> you know, a lot of times when I text you with some sort of uh, theologically uh, theological inquiry, in some cases it's because I'm having a crisis of faith. You know what I'm saying? It's it, and sure, when, yeah. I, when I and and when I, what I mean by that is, uh, you know, I've had something come across me. And now it's making me have to deconstruct yeah. and reconstruct what it is that I think I know. You know what I'm saying? And and having you helps me work through that that construction deconstruction slash construction process, right? So, you know, a lot of the times the questions I ask you, I know right off the bat, it's a tough one. Right. Yeah. Because it's not like I'm not asking something that's usually easily something you can find, like, 
You know, I'm not asking y'all who was the seventh apostle. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm I'm asking like, what in the world does this mean, right? Yeah. And, and what yeah. does it mean to us today, or what does it mean to me? You know what I mean, or to you, right. or you know. And they're not easy, and and I think in part that kind of lends itself to the level of maybe it'll help the listeners understand, look, the level of what our discussions a lot of times are, they're not a lot of times trivial. Uh, They sometimes are pretty deep and that in turn creates the the length of, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been great in, uh, in helping me. And I love the fact that, you know, you're creating this ministry and, I think it'll be a, just as you've been a blessing to me, I, I really hope that you'll be a blessing to, to many others for years to come. So I appreciate um, that, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. You know, and, and that's kind of, you know, what that's sort of the point of this podcast, right? It's a, a big part of our audience are folks who um, are in that kind of deconstruction, reconstruction process. And honestly, some, like I use that language so much that, if I'm not careful, it can almost seem um, almost kind of trite, but I know it, it's not trite because it really is the best way to describe where folks are. Like, um, and, and I've, I have gone through that uh, myself and, and in a lot of ways I'm still going through it. I've begun to, I've begun to see deconstruction as um, kind of more of a spiral dynamic sort of process than a linear thing that you just kind of go through and then you get over it. Like, I think there are continuing Waves is is the word that I've used to call them of deconstruction. Um, pandemic has certainly put me through a wave of deconstruction that was different than my first wave of deconstruction, or maybe my second one was. Uh, and so, yeah, this is you know the Accidental Tomatoes podcast exists. I think to to be a conversation partner with people who are having those same kinds of um, whether you describe it as a crisis of faith or just like. How do I deal with these existential questions that go with a faith, especially when I've lost trust in the institution that's supposed to be there to support me, right? Which is not like, I, I don't want to come across as somebody that's constantly bad-mouthing the institutional church. Like, I I, I live in that world, right? I'm an ordained minister, um, and I have a lot of value for the church. But I also know that that the church, like any other institution, needs to be open to constant critique and constant reformation. Right. So, so that's, yeah. So that gives us, I think that gives us some good background for, um, for what we're talking about here. And I, and again, I appreciate, you know, your kind words and, and at the, at the same time, I, I appreciate it when you ask those questions and because I seldom have the answer also, right? Like you ask me questions that I don't have answers to, and it makes me think a little more deeply. <laughs> and and I think the process of having these dialogues, and I think that's kind of what we're trying to do, you know, in this episode that we're recording now is the process of the dialogue itself. Like maybe it doesn't come to an answer, but I think it helps us to appreciate um, the the deep yearning that is behind those questions to to exist in in a way where love really is the center of our universe right and that's that to me that's kind of what it boils down to and we got into a little bit of that yesterday in that conversation we had uh, and so let's let's kind of bring folks into that conversation a little bit you had texted me 
um, yesterday morning. And, and I've got the, the thread pulled up just so I can kind of remember. You said, what would our country look like if there had not been slavery? Like that was the first question that started this whole dialogue. And, and really, we got into a lot of stuff around um, race and poverty and, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of stuff like that. And then, you know, you started to kind of unpack for me um, kind of what might be a, a possibility um, in the in the sphere of public policy with with economic policy and things that I think I'm, I think the words I used was this is way over my pay grade, but I love talking about this stuff. Right. So um, let's kind of start, though, at the uh, you know, I don't want to rehash the whole conversation, but I think it was sort of the essence of it that I thought was interesting um, that we really did kind of begin to pull on that thread a little bit of, you know, right now as a nation, we're really highly focused on on race relations. Right. And I think, you know, you and I are a couple of white guys from West Virginia who grew up in a very white community. You know, diversity was something that was mostly theoretical to, I think, both of us until we got to college, probably. Um, and then we had to learn how to deal with that, you know, in a whole new context. But but I also think that as this as the as the current conversation, you know, nationwide and worldwide expands, one of the things that people like you and me have had to do um, is to really sort of examine what it means to be a white person in America, right? And 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 to examine, you know, to kind of honestly look at the ways that we are privileged by our systems and structures, and and to kind of think more seriously about how do we. How do we start to unravel some of that? How do we how do we pull those threads out, right? Um, and and begin to reconstruct something better around that. So I'm I'm going to stop there and kind of let you jump in because I don't want to dominate the conversation here. But um, but yeah, so we have this background and experience that is, um, and and I, and I guess the reason I want to say all of that before we get too deep in is I know as we go forward with this conversation today. We're gonna we're going to unintentionally say things that might offend people, right? Because we're still trying to learn how to deal with our own sense of privilege, and we're trying to learn how to do better, right? And so, if if either of us do that, I would I would beg you know our listeners' forgiveness, and especially if uh, if you're a person of color and we say something that that comes across as as maybe not too well informed. Like I invite anyone to to kind of call me out anyhow on that, so so that I can learn, right? So that we can do better. So, so yeah, what, you know, does that kind of describe our background pretty well, you think, Harry, and, and where well, this I conversation it, kind of went? I think it, it does. Um, I think that we have no idea what it's like truly uh, to be a minority uh, and to understand what, uh, what every day encounters and just, you know, obstacles and hurdles that have to be overcome of no fault of your own. You know, uh, I think that we, we have absolutely no idea. Um, I will, you know, say that I think each and every one of us at some point in time does understand you know, discrimination, you know, whether you're the little kid on the playground that doesn't get picked until the last to, to play basketball, right? Or whether you're 
you know, you look different, you're smaller, kids pick on you, you're fatter, kids pick on you. I mean, we we understand discrimination, but we have no idea what minorities experience in a culture where they're the minority. And so while we may understand very, uh, very small amounts of discrimination, we understand what discrimination is. We don't have any way of being able to uh, understand the incredible degree of discrimination that is involved in racism. And so I think it's good that you you brought that out. that you know our background doesn't doesn't necessarily make us very educated or experienced in in what it would be like. Uh, we can only s- suppose, yeah. and and we can hope that we can have a conversation that might be beneficial. You know what I mean? To right to try to start a thought process that we may have that we may think might be helpful, uh, whether it is or not, you know, we'll, we'll be seeing, right? So, yeah, yeah. But we got to, we, we have conversations, right? To try to understand things better. Right. And yeah. that, and to me, that's the, imp- one of the important factors of our conversations is so that we cannot, you and I, can understand things better uh, and so yeah now I'm glad you brought up the, the disclaimer you know <laughs> yeah well and this, you know that's perfect. yeah as I'm as I'm you know just in my personal life trying to learn to be a better ally uh, and and that that's kind of a broad statement even of itself I, I, you know an ally not just for you know black indigenous and people of color but also an ally to folks in the LGBTQ community and an ally to folks who are in all kinds of marginalized uh, or oppressed communities. Like I have to learn, right? Because, because I am advantaged by a system, you know, um, I, a, uh, somebody um, on, can't remember if it was a message directly to me or a, uh, somebody just posted this on Facebook, uh, a friend of mine, um, posted a link to an article by um, um, Alicia Crosby. And she, I love, she has this definition of white supremacy that I think is really interesting. Uh, It says white supremacy establishes whiteness as superior to other racial identities through the elevation of the needs, wants, concerns, perspectives, feelings, and desires of white people over that of people of color. This includes the centering of theological, rhetorical, aesthetic and economic priorities and preferences rooted in whiteness, as well as the appropriation and rebranding of cultural expressions sourced from people of color. I I think that definition is really interesting because I think it goes to show how we, um, how white people assume that the things that pertain to whiteness are normal for society. Right. Does that make sense? Without taking into account how that disadvantages people of color or people who aren't white. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, 
I think one of the things we talked about was uh, a lot of what gets labeled as racism or uh, not taking other people's views, in, in this case, theological or understanding of what's important, which, which differ from our views and, you know, our understandings. A lot of times it comes, it seems that it comes down to lack of experience, lack yeah. of edu- education. Uh, and if you want to, I mean, you could use a strong term and you could say, well, if I lack understanding, then I lack ignorance. And I'm, I'm saying, or I have ignorance in that, right. in that area. So like, you know, because something's different doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's wrong, but because something's different and we choose not to understand it, or we have no idea that it's even different to begin with, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Then, then that would be ignorant of there's a difference that we don't understand as well as we should. And, 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 and we need to overcome that. We need to overcome the education that we have. We need to create a dialogue that we can communicate uh, so that we can overcome the differences right? So that we can bridge that gap as what she's talking about. There's a gap here. Yeah. And what we need to do is we need to construct bridges so that we can, we can bridge those gaps so that we can understand, we can become educated and, and we can identify, you know, commonality, if you would, that, that can be built upon rather than being absent of the knowledge and just making assumptions right yeah and and that's where i think we get into problems many times is there's absence of understanding but there's no attempt to try to understand you know we we assume we know based on our experience and so what we need to do i think is create better experiences you know what I'm right. saying? I think yeah, that, yeah. that was part of, you know, a thread in our whole conversation was we need to figure out ways of creating better experiences uh, so that we don't take, and, and this is an interesting part. Uh, there was a gentleman, I think his last name's Pinker. He's a <clears throat> philosophy <clears throat> instructor, I think, at Harvard was on Bloomberg the other day, and he was talking about, you know, a lot of the uh, importance of when all you're looking at are the headlines in the news, well, most of the headlines are always bad. So your your impression of what's happening in the world is going to be bad if all you're doing is looking at the headlines. Right. And I thought that was a very interesting uh, view and it seems accurate. And then when you look at social media today, a lot of the things are a subset of the headlines. 
So let's say there's there's 20 different headlines in the world right now, okay? And all of them, all of them are not really that good, but five of them keep getting repeated on social media. Right. Yeah. And those five are the ones that are perhaps the hardest ones, the most shocking ones for us, right? Yeah. And so we end up, you know, if that's if that's the only thing we look at to help educate ourselves, we're educating ourselves on things that are really bad continuously. It's kind of like reinforcing bad, reinforcing bad, reinforcing bad. That's probably not the healthiest thing we can be doing, right? Yeah. Um, for mul- multiple reasons. Uh, but I didn't yeah, mean there- to like- no, no, no. I, I look because it, it really kind of makes me think. It, I think it stays on track with our conversation because I think inherent in that is a is a certain level of confirmation bias, right? So those those headlines that we see that keep getting echoed over and over and over again tend to reflect. Going back to your earlier description of it being ignorance, and I, and I I want to be really careful. Like I'm not using that as a derisive term you know, to call people like we take it that way. But I think part of learning to understand our own, you know, white privilege is, is being able to admit where we're ignorant, you know, (laughs) where we don't have knowledge, where we don't have education, where we don't have experience. And so we do like, if we want to basically feel better about ourselves or keep normalizing our whiteness, what we're going to do is we're going to repeat through confirmation bias, those headlines, right, that 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 continue to reinforce our ignorance, that don't lead us to a place where we can learn more and, and learn to be better, right? Right. And I, I think that was part of why I asked you the question, right, was what would our country look like if we had never had slavery? You know, because... <clears throat> we have to stretch our minds beyond what we know right yeah so that so that we we can overcome our ignorance right because you know you have to challenge yourself and i think that goes back to all of our questions over the years texting one another back and forth we have to challenge what it is we understand theologically as well, what our faith is, how we grew up, what our parents' faith was, if you would. Yeah. We have to we have to challenge that in order to deepen and grow our understanding, right? And <clears throat> there are areas that we'll come across in that process of living <laughs> and exploring mm-hmm. what it is we believe that we don't understand really. And so we have to we have to challenge that in order to try to create understanding. And I think that's the same with issues that are confronting us today. Uh, we have to challenge our belief system so that we can grow and expand beyond what we know at this moment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, 
I, I really appreciate um, what you're saying about challenging ourselves to grow because I think I think our human tendency is um, on some level, like I think a lot of us just don't want to. <laughs> like we want to feel like here I am, like I've I've made it to whatever point I am in my life and and whatever whatever that looks like, if you want to define it as success or or whatever term you want to use to define that. But but we we have this tendency to just want to think, you know, I am who I am and I'm not going to ever be anyone else. And I've, I've learned everything that I'm going to learn. And, and that's adequate, right? That I don't need to learn anything else. And I think there's probably like to get, neither of us are psychologists, but I think there's probably a psychological factor at play there that has to do with um, comfort and control um, and maybe even fear a little bit. Like, you know, we have this, we, we, I think we may have a fear of, of changing and growing, right? Because we like our comfort zones. We like, we tend to like where we, and that's, that's the thing about challenge, right? I think, I think people who are in a position and, and, and this kind of gets back to the race conversation, people who, who don't get the, the advantage that, that we have as you know, middle-class white men in America, like we can be pretty comfortable and pretty happy with that. And we can feel like our life is, is pretty much under control. And that is not the experience of the vast majority of people of color, right? They can't always, even, even people who we might say are economically advantaged, uh, who are people of color, even their experience is still different than ours, right? Because there's not that sense that everything's okay, right? That, that we've got it all figured out and, and I can, I can just kind of settle. And so I think I, I love that, that language around challenge, right. That we have to challenge ourselves. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that kind of goes back to this whole deconstruction process in general. That's essentially what it is. Like I need to challenge what I've always been taught because I'm beginning to learn that reality <laughs> doesn't align <laughs> right with, with this worldview that I've always had. Well, I think one of the things that is good that has come out of, that has come out of this, um, you know, racial um, acknowledgement, you know, the the Black Lives Matter movement, um, the understanding starting to understand perhaps i think in part because we we've we've actually had a total view you know in a lot of the cases uh before uh, mr floyd's uh murder we never got an entire view you know what i'm saying like uh, bits and pieces scattered reports word of mouth, eyewitness accounts, but different locations. You know what I'm saying? Like we might, mm -hmm. we might have a snapshot in a parking lot or we may have a, a snapshot on the street, but now we have seen basically from beginning to end, uh, which is an atrocity that can never, that just should not happen. Yeah. But what, what is what we have gotten from this 
as we live, our our dominant, our our uh, you know, our white dominant society is based on fundamental principles that you know all men are created equal. Okay, and that we have certain rights. And what the black community is telling us is you you have these ideals, but you aren't living to them. Yeah, yeah. They're holding us accountable. Yeah. And they're and they are correct. They Absolutely. are correct. We we have painted these ideals and this belief system and we aren't living to those yeah. we need to see that we need to see that for what it is and i'm glad we have reached the point where we're being we're being shown that we ha- are not living up to the standards that we have created and and that needs to change joe that yeah. that needs to change we can't we can't continue down a path of discrimination and you know prejudice and inequality and injustice when we know it exists we have seen it from beginning to end now mm-hmm. okay and we know it's wrong and we need this needs to change and and you know maybe part of the maybe part of the reason as well is because we all feel susceptible right now so we even though we don't understand we're ignorant of what it's like to be a minority we know what it's like to be susceptible to something we can't control Right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, with, yeah. With with the pandemic, right? And so, so we kind of, we kind of have a an empathy right now, right? Of of what it's like to be susceptible to something you can't control. That's um, that's a really interesting thought. Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I part of you know I, I can kind of in part of this conversation I can almost imagine some of our black friends saying, you know, we've been trying to tell y'all this for a long time and you're just yep. now getting it. And, and that's, shame, you know, shame, shame on, on us. us. Absolutely. You know, us and, us but I, ignorant, I think, you know? yeah. Um, but I, I, what you're saying about the pandemic making all of us more vulnerable is something that I really hadn't, I don't think I'd really thought about it. Or if I did, I don't think I had uh, a way to articulate it the way you just did. Right. That it, it does, and and it and shame on us that it took that right to get our attention. Also, exactly, you know? exactly. But, I agree. I agree. But that is that's the reality of of where we are, though. But I think that is that's really fascinating to think about. That perhaps perhaps it took this kind of you know existential vulnerability to to make us open to seeing and hearing what our our black brothers and sisters have been telling us not just for years but for four centuries right you know um that and that and you know so 
And, and you, know, you know, you said something yesterday in our text messaging conversation, you know, that we can't undo the history, right? And, and that's, not to, that's not to pretend that the history didn't happen, but there is, there is a sense of where we have to acknowledge, right, the reality of the history and also that we are at this moment now where we have an opportunity to do things differently, right? And, yeah, it should not have taken 400 years. Um, but, but here we are now, so let's do something now, right? And that's, that was sort of the heart of what we were saying in, in our texts back and forth yesterday. Like, what does that, what does that start to look like? How can we like practically, you know, start to, to make a difference, you know? And so I, I, I've blogged and, and we've talked on the podcast before about white privilege and, and, you know, racist systems and structures and things like that. And, and, you know, that's all part of this process. Um, but at some point, we have to, you know, for us as white people, yes, we have to overcome our ignorance. We have to begin to educate ourselves, right? We have to, we have to learn to get out of the way and, and center the voices of oppressed people. You know, that's kind of been a big thing that I've been learning about lately. And, and I've kind of always considered myself to be a pretty good ally. But again, you learn and grow and you get better as you go. Um, so, you know, how, because it's not, it's not our job. We're not the, the knights on the white stallions to come in and save, right? People that, that have a different racial and cultural background than us. We, I, I think our job as white people is to, to get out of the way and allow people of color to lead the change that needs to happen to benefit people of color. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I would. I think um, I think that makes sense, um, but I I don't think we can pass the buck. I think oh yeah that, yeah I think that you know yeah, the way things are structured right now, right? It's it's got to require uh, at the very minimum a joint effort because. We don't get, we, we can't just get there. You know what I'm saying? Where, right. where you would like to go, we can't just immediately get there. We would love to. And I know that in our society today, we like instantaneous answers and solutions. And, you know, like we would love to have had a vaccine for the coronavirus, you know, uh, back in yeah, the December. day after it hit, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, before, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe in September of last year, right? But that wasn't a possibility. Um, but that's kind of the, our mentality. In in the end, we have to restructure programs, and we have to have, you know all races involved in being able to do the restructuring necessary. I, I think it would be wrong for, you know, uh, white people to go into black communities and say, Hey, we've got the answer and we're going to manage this. I think right. that's part, that's part of how we it's part of the got, problem. You know, that, that's, that's part of some of the got, things we've tried before that don't work. Right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's problematic. On the other hand, I'm not really sure 
we can do the reverse either. I think that we're at a point where we need to build common understandings and have common goals, and we need to work together to be able to achieve that. I mean, my question for you yesterday, which I was hoping we, uh, I think it evolved into something much, much better. But my question was kind of like, well, what would it be like if we hadn't had slavery? You know, would it, would it be like how we have people from different European countries in the United States, right? Like over the centuries, you know, we have many people from England, from Ireland, from Scotland, from Poland, from Germany, from France. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Is that how we would have looked at people from different countries in Africa? You know what I'm saying? And, right, right. And we wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't have a divide that lasts 400 plus years, right? We would end up seeing people in a similar fashion, right? Right. Um, Which is not to say, you know, I think one of the kind of popular mantras with people that are that maybe just don't quite get it yet is like that. Oh, I don't see color. Well, that's not the point either. Right. The point is to see the color and to honor the color, just as you honor your own, you know, cultural experience. Right. Um, and, and I, so I love, I love like, I love the the thought exercise that that kind of leads into, you know, what would it have been like? Um, and I, you know, one of the things I kind of said in response to that was, I think we still have a tendency to otherize though, right? So, um, and, and that's just a human tendency. Now, would that have looked different if slavery had not been part? And, and again, this is all purely hypothetical because slavery is part of our history, right? We can't escape that reality. But, you know, would, would we, I, I mean, I can't imagine that we wouldn't still otherize, you know, people who don't look exactly like us um, or who have different language or different culture, because that's our tendency as human beings. And, and even, you know, when I look, when I, you know, do studies of, of life in the old Testament that, you know, that happened then. Right. Um, So that's nothing new to us. I just think, you know, what would that have looked like? I think it would have looked different than it, than it does look with a history of slavery but I think we would still t- and that and I think that's the thing big picture right that that we're trying to get past is how do we stop otherizing right how do we how do we begin to and and you know Dr. King talked about the beloved community and I think that was sort of his ultimate goal right improved race relations improved socioeconomic conditions you know for people of color was a necessary step toward a society that sees and honors our diversity, right? And that, and that that diversity then is what makes us better. You know, not, not this idea of homogenizing everything and getting everybody to look and think and be the same, but to take this, this beautiful kind of mosaic that is, that life presents to us. um, And that we might even say that God has created and and live into that to its fullest, you know, and I think that's what Dr. King would have said, you know, ultimately results in this thing that he called the beloved community. That wasn't his terms. He actually got it um, from some of his own studies, but like that idea that we can 
live together. And I think that sounds like what you're describing a little bit, these partnerships, but they have to start somewhere though, right? They have to start somewhere. Well, I agree. And I, I, I would be careful about how, how much diversity, and, I, and the only reason I bring that up is I think diversity has to be structured such that you have common grounds that you're working from. Right, okay. Right. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example. You know, we can have as many people come to the United States, get their driver's permit and drive. But if they come from countries where they drive on the opposite side of the road and they try to drive on the opposite side of the road here, we're going to have problems. Right. So we have to all agree that we drive on a certain side of the road. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a very simple analogy, but there's some truth to that, that if we can't all agree to drive on the same side of the road, no matter what your car looks like, no matter, you know, what paint Mm -hmm. you have on your car, no matter whether it's a, you know, two seater or four seater, that doesn't matter. But what's important is that we all drive on the same side of the road. Yeah. And so, you know, that's 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 part of the difference. I mean, so you have to have a certain level of agreement, if you would, to build from. Now the other things that are diverse where we we don't necessarily have the same background, the same social upbringing, the same education, right? Those other things that are outside of the scope of what we have to have in common, those do make us better. They They do help us understand one another. They do help us grow beyond, you know what I mean? Yeah. What we have otherwise without. And so that helps us overcome our ignorance. You know what I mean? Um, right. So that's important. Yeah, yeah. And and to kind of let me see if I can extend that analogy a little bit. When you know the the driving on the other side of the road analogy, because you know and that's the problem with analogies is they they do always break down at some point. But but to just extend it a little bit, I I think our tendency as white people in America has been to say. If you come to to my country, right, you need to do it my way. And maybe what we need to think about, again, just using this as analogy, is, and then maybe what this conversation about white privilege should be teaching us is maybe instead of just saying to people who drive on the other side of the road, you need to drive on our side of the road, maybe we should stop and ask them, why do you drive on that side of the road? And maybe that's actually a better system, right? So to, to consider where the, again, it's a really overplayed analogy, right? <laughs> but, or an oversimplified analogy, but to say we we who have been in the majority culture need to listen to people who do things differently, who have a different experience of life, instead of simply imposing the way we do it on them because it's our way, right? For no other reason than that it's our way. So, you know, and we did get kind of into that conversation of there does have to be a shared kind of set of social rules, you know, whether those are codified or not. 
<clears throat> but but maybe we're at this moment now in history where where white people need to step back and say, well, maybe maybe there's a perfectly legitimate reason for driving on the other side of the road that I haven't considered just because that's not what I do, right? Yeah, I think for, you know, obviously other things, that's that's a very valid point. Yeah, and again, uh, like, I, you know, just to, to kind of reiterate, it, it's a very oversimplified analogy, but, but I kind of like that it gives us some language to think about how this could work, you know? I mean, maybe, I, I, I guess the thing is, right, in part, you know, if we said all of our laws came down to the Ten Commandments, okay, which which in some respects they perhaps have derived themselves from those, right? If we said that there were ten rules that we live by and we said, okay, everything else can go as long as we live by these ten things, right? Yeah. I think there's some credit to say, well, if somebody came in and said, hey, there's an eleventh thing that's not part of that 10 you should consider, then you should consider it. Or there's some sort of modification to rule number two that you should consider. We should be open to considering it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh, But we also have to understand that at some point in time or at any specific point in time, there are these 10 things right now that we, that are important. And there's a reason they're important, right? And until otherwise, you know, until we grow to understand that they're not. And I think, to be honest with you, I think that's part of the genius behind our Constitution was our forefathers didn't say, oh, we got this all right. Okay. We know everything. And we're going to just write it all down. And this is the way it's going to be from today until the end of time. No, they didn't. They had the foresight to realize we don't have all the answers. And so not only did they create a a document to start with, which is my point, but they created the ability to change that document. And I think we, we need to understand that that the way it is today isn't the way it has to be, okay? We can change. And we have given to us the ability to make those changes. And I think think to your point, we need to be open to, to understand when we need to grow, understand other things, and when necessary, incorporate those changes, right? For the betterment, not just for the betterment of, you know, minorities, but for the betterment of society as a whole, right? Right, right. Yeah, there's this, um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I think that that's important. And and I think that's, to me, that's why it's so important to say Black Lives Matter. Because if we say all lives matter, well, that's kind of like the global set, right? Yeah. And inside that global set, each race matters. And I don't think anybody questions that. 
But if all lives matter, then black lives matter too. Yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah. You know, right and, now. And, yeah, and it becomes a way, like, I get where people come from when they're saying that. And I think, to be honest with you, it's somewhat, it, it somewhat diminishes. Exactly. Yeah, that's where I was it, going. It dimini- it, yeah, it diminishes the Black Lives Matter. It does. And it does. And, we and that's want, the way we, we use it. We don't want to diminish that because it's true. And we're being held accountable. And, and you know, man, anybody can say you really hate to be held accountable when you realize you individually are part of a problem that by perhaps yet in in yours and my experience right we we don't have the experiences that other people do but that doesn't mean that we can't help to try to understand that there's an issue and we can't try to help overcome that issue right yeah because if we if we do nothing now that we have seen ourselves firsthand, right, uh, from beginning to end, for the most part, a problem, and we do nothing, then we are part of that problem, and yeah. and we we need to be part of the solution, right? Which is Absolutely. the whole reason. Which is the whole reason we're having this conversation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's it for episode number 17 of the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening in on this conversation that Harry and I had. And I hope in some way that it helps you think about the conversations you're having in your own families and friends and circles of influence as we all try to move toward a better and more equitable society. And and so please keep an eye out again, as I said at the beginning, for the second part of our conversation around alleviating poverty, which will come out in the next few weeks. As always, you can find Accidental Tomatoes online at accidentaltomatoes.com. And across the social media world, we are at Accidental Tomatoes. Please be sure to like and follow our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram pages for up-to-the-minute updates of what's going on in our community. And again, if you enjoy uh, this podcast, then please be sure to share it with your friends and, and the other folks that you're in conversation with. You can find me, Joe Webb, at my website, joewebwrites.com, where I write a weekly blog about a lot of the same kind of issues that we talk about here on the podcast. And on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I'm at joewebwrites. If you have any ideas or suggestions for future topics for the podcast that you would like to hear about, I would love to hear from you. You can always, again, contact me on Facebook or Twitter directly or through the Accidental Tomatoes channels, or you can email us at accidentaltomatoes at gmail.com. And again, if you enjoy this podcast, if you like what it is that we have to say, if you find it interesting, I would love to invite you to throw us up a rating and a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcast, that helps other people find us and connect with our community and to participate in this kind of ongoing conversation that we're having together. 
And if you'd like to support the work we're doing at Accidental Tomatoes, you can do that through the Patreon channel, where your support helps us offset some of the just the natural expenses of producing content for our community. Just go to patreon.com slash accidental tomatoes to learn more. So keep on growing outside the fences and join us next time for the Accidental Tomatoes podcast. <laughs>